Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa ala rasulillah. So, to mention again, the second portion is what? ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ الرَّجُلَ يُطِيلُ السَّفَرَ Then the Prophet ﷺ makes mention of a man who was on a long journey. Now, Ibn Daqiq al-Eid, rahimahullah, he says, he suggests that a long journey is in reference to either jihad, like he's a warrior, or maybe that he made hajj. This is a long journey, you know, back then, it wasn't flying in and out, it wasn't easy like that. They had to go for long periods of time. Some people will go for years, and then, come, yes, years. It would take years for them to go all the way to Hajj and then all the way back. It's like, you know, some people on the journey there and on the way back, some people died and some people were born. It's a whole new group of people by the time they get back, subhanAllah. So, uh, yes. So this is one suggestion, but Allah, this is just an idea. That the Prophet is painting the picture of a man. You can imagine him. He's on a very long journey. And we know that when you're on a journey, this is a time where the Prophet ﷺ specifically mentioned that the dua is accepted. Uh, as the hadith says, ثَلَاثُ دَعَوَاتٍ مُسْتَجَابَةٌ لَا شَكَّ فِيهِنَّ That there are three supplications that are answered and there's no doubt about it. دَعَوَةُ الْوَالِدِ The uh, dua or the supplication of the father, implying the father for the, for the family, for the children, وَاللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ أَعْلَمُ وَدَعَوَةُ الْمُسَافِرِ the, the dua or the supplication of the traveler. وَدَعَوَةُ الْمَظْنُومِ And the supplication of the, uh, tr- um, what's the term? Uh, uh, oppressed. Somebody who has been uh, oppressed. Now, Ibn Rajab, uh, rahimahullah, he explains that the reason why the traveler is, is particularly uh, highlighted here is because when you're traveling, you realize just how weak you are in front of Allah Ta'ala. See, when we're in our uh, comfort zone with everybody that we know, friends, family, etc., you feel so secure that you almost think that I don't need Allah's protection. But when you go out traveling and you realize just how vulnerable you are, then your heart softens and realizes, subhanAllah, I am at Allah's mercy, Ya Allah, and you make very sincere dua. You could say the same thing about the parent, right? The parent for the children, they feel so afraid for the kids that they're always making dua for them because they know how vulnerable these children are and they're so afraid for them. And then of course the mazloom, the mazloom, the oppressed person, uh, this is a person who has been downtrodden and beaten and Allah Ta'ala hates the zalim, Allah hates the, uh, 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 the oppressor. And so Allah Ta'ala uh, pays, uh, listens to and accepts the dua of the mazloom. So the first quality this person has is that they're a traveler and traveling should mean that his dua is accepted. Number two, ashghatha, no, sorry, Ash'atha, excuse me. Ash'atha, aghbara. Ash'atha, aghbara. Which, which means what? That this person is disheveled and covered with dust. So, this is showing that this person is in a state of humility. And a state of humility is usually when the dua is accepted. Again, there's another hadith that says, رُبَّ أَشْعَثَ مَدْفُوعٍ بِالْأَبْوَابِ لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لَأَبَرَّهُ that there, the Prophet ﷺ says in Sahih Muslim, it could be the case that there is a person who is disheveled and driven away from the doors. As in, people never invite him in. Nobody, nobody invites them to this person's house, to their house. And yet that person, if he were to swear by, in Allah's name, if he were to make an oath in Allah's name, then Allah Ta'ala would indeed fulfill it. In other words, what is that saying? That some people, they don't get invited to homes Yet, if they were to say, by Allah, Allah Ta'ala will do this. Or by Allah, Allah Ta'ala will prevent this. Whatever it is, that the person has hope in Allah Ta'ala and asks Allah to have something done, and he has, makes an oath by Allah Ta'ala, then what will happen? Allah Ta'ala will not reject him. So subhanAllah, this is implying what? That there are some people that humans reject them, but Allah does not reject them. Why? Because they have no status in the eyes of the people, but they have a great status in the eyes of Allah. This hadith is really encouraging us to pay most attention towards taqwa, and righteousness, and pay less attention towards worldly status. So subhanAllah, it's a very beautiful hadith. And so anyway, going back to the hadith, this hadith is saying, imagine a person, there is such a person who, traveling, you would expect the dua to be accepted. 
he is ash'af, uh, uh, which means uh, disheveled, and you would expect, therefore, maybe this implies a sense of humility, and this person's dua is accepted. Number three, yamuddu yadayhi ila sama, that his hands are extended towards the sky. Now, there are also more ahadith about this. We know, why is the Prophet mentioning this? Because we know that the Prophet says, inna rabbakum tabaraka wa ta'ala hayyun karimun yastahyi min abdihi idha rafa'a yadayhi ilayhi an yaruddahuma sifran. Allahu Akbar. What a beautiful hadith from Sunan Abi Dawood, and it's a sahih, authentic hadith. The Prophet says that indeed your master, your Lord, Allah Ta'ala, the most blessed and the most high, he is shy and he is generous. Hayyun karimun. Shy and generous. You might say, How, Allah Ta'ala is shy? The hadith continues. Yastahyi min abdihi. He is shy from his servant. When the servant raises his hands to him, as in he's making dua to him, that, Allah, that he, that Allah Ta'ala, would turn them away, turn his hands away, as in, you know, the person would put his hands down. Sifran, with zero, with nothing. Empty-handed. Allah Ta'ala is shy to send you home, send you back, after you've made your dua with your hands raised, empty-handed, with nothing. I mean, that's the, this is a position of begging, really, when you think about it. You see the beggar on the street saying, please, put something in my hand. This is a, a position of humility and begging, and that's exactly what's implied. That you're begging, oh Allah, put something in my hands. And Allah Ta'ala is hayyun karimun. He is shy, and he is karim, he is generous. That he's not going to do such a thing, and uh, 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 simply reject. No, rather, Allah Ta'ala answers the dua. And we mentioned this during the khutbah just last week. We talked about the three cases. That whenever you make a dua, inshallah, one of three. Either it's accepted right away, uh, that Allah Ta'ala gives you what you asked for. Number two is what? That it is uh, something of equal importance or value, you could say, is averted from you, that, that a harm that was on its way. So for example, you make dua, I don't know, for, for something that has X amount of value, and only Allah can, can calculate these things, that you make dua for something that has X amount of value, Allah Ta'ala knows exactly what that value is, and in response to that, averts a certain evil or a harm from you that is of equal value. And number, that was on its way towards you. And number three, that Allah Ta'ala leaves it till the Akhirah, so that you can see the response to your dua there. And subhanAllah, the slave will be so happy when he reaches paradise and sees all the reward that is waiting for him, that he will say, Oh Allah, I wish none of my duas were ever accepted. I wish all of it was waiting for me in the afterlife. SubhanAllah. So yes, this is uh, the case. There are other uh, hadith with regards to uh, raising of the hands. We know that the Prophet would normally raise the hands roughly around this area, right? You know, around the shoulder height, roughly. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. But there's specific conditions in which, specific, specific situations in which the Prophet is reported to have raised his hands high, high, high up. In fact, Anas ibn Malik, uh, he mentions, this is also mentioned in Sahih Muslim, and the Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana la yarfa'u yadayhi fi shay'in min dua'ihi illa fi al-istisqa, hatta yura bayadu ibtayhi. That the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not used to, would not regularly raise his hands very high. I believe this is referring to the high, the high one, not just the regular one, but the very high one. Wallahu alam. He would not raise his hands high up in supplication, except for in, uh, in dua istisqa. Istisqa is when you make dua for rain. If there's a drought and you're making dua that Allah blesses us with rain. And Anas and, uh, al-Malik, he continues and says what? That he would raise his hands high enough that you would see the whiteness of his armpits. You would see basically the white. Uh, obviously, you know, people living in the desert, they're tanned on the, more on the outside, and then underneath the arm, you see the skin is more light-skinned. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. So the idea is that he's, he's raising his hands high. He's trying to give you the visual so you understand. And there's another hadith. It's, in a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lengthy hadith in Sahih Muslim 
that Umar ibn al-Khattab was talking about the uh, right before Badr, like just the, the night before Badr, etc. And he mentions in this lengthy hadith, I'm just going to mention one part. He says, فَمَا زَالَ يَهْتِفُ بِرَبِّهِ مَادًّا يَدَيْهِ مُسْتَقْبِلَ الْقِبْلَةِ حَتَّى سَقَطَ رِدَاؤُهُ عَنْ مَنْ كِبَيْهِ That the Prophet ﷺ continued to keep supplicating to his Lord with his hands stretched out, facing the qibla until his cloak fell from his shoulder. So this is his raising his hands so much and making dua for so much time, so long, begging Allah Ta'ala. It's a beautiful dua, it's a beautiful hadith. It's a lengthy hadith going into the dua of the Prophet ﷺ saying, Ya Allah, if you, if you allow us to lose, then uh, who, no, who will worship you on earth? Or nobody, there'll be nobody to worship you on earth. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but basically the hadith is very beautiful. But the idea that we're highlighting is what? That the Prophet ﷺ would regularly raise his hands to roughly shoulder length, and sometimes raise them high in extreme scenarios, like for rain, like during battle, etc. So now all this is clear, and we know from the hadith what? That Allah Ta'ala, when you raise your hands, Allah Ta'ala wants to respond to that. Okay? Then, so we have, what was it so far? We have uh, traveling, we have disheveled, we have uh, raised hands. Okay, what's number four? He says what? Ya Rab, Ya Rab. Ya Rab, this is one of the best ways to call upon Allah. Because Ya Rab is a recognition that Allah is your creator and your sustainer and your developer, your nourisher, your controller, your master, your owner, and your object of worship, subhanAllah. There's a recognition that Allah is the Rab, therefore you are the Abd, the opposite, you are the slave. It's a, it's a word of humility. You're calling Allah your master. In other words, I know I'm your slave. So subhanAllah, this is one of the best ways to make dua. And the more, even more proof of this is the fact that throughout the Qur'an, almost every dua starts with what? Rabbana, Rabbi. Rabbana, Rabbi, you almost find every dua starting with calling upon Allah as Lord or Master, however you, however you want to translate Rabb. And yes, we know that uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا سَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ أُجِيبُ الدَّعْوَةَ الدَّاعِي إِذَا دَعَانِ That and when my servant asks you, O Muhammad Sallallahu about me, then, then indeed, then indeed I am near. I respond to the invocation of the supplicant when he calls upon me. So subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala mentions that I respond to the dua when you call upon me. When you call, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, I respond. So yes, all of this is mentioned. And yet, even though he's got every quality that you would say that this person's dua is accepted, what does the Prophet Prophet follow up with? مَطْعَمُهُ haram. His food is haram. مَشْرَبُهُ haram. His drink is haram. وَمَلْبَسُهُ haram. And his clothing is, is unlawful, haram. And he has been nourished by haram. What's the difference between his food and drink and then after that saying what he's been nourished by? Why would you mention both? It's the same thing, isn't it? No, the difference is, it seems the difference is, your food and your drink is what you have currently, right? What you've bought, what you're, what you're consuming here in the moment. What you've been nourished by is what you've been eating for a long time prior, implying it's no longer food in your mouth or in your stomach. Now it's become your, your skin, and your bones, and your flesh, and your blood pumping through your veins, all of it, because you have been nourished by haram, and subhanAllah, we know that things that are haram, they're meant to be thrown into the fire. And so if you can continuously consume this haram, and it literally becomes your flesh, then your flesh is destined for, na'udhu billah, the fire. So subhanAllah, it's very scary. So yes, how, then, yes, all this is, uh, mentioned. There are other things that can block a person's dua. There are many ahadith that talk about cutting uh, the family, family ties. Somebody who can make dua, 
but yet, you know, uh, you know, they said, I'm never going to speak to my mother again. I'm never going to speak to my father again. I'm never going to speak to my brother again. You make this sort of rule to yourself. And then subhanAllah, you're like, I don't know why. My dua is never being accepted. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you shouldn't have cut off your family members. These are, this is another, there are other reasons why somebody's dua could be cut. But it seems that these are the ones that are being focused on here. And so the big lesson here is what? If you really want Allah to respond to you, you need to do what? First respond to Him. In fact, when we mentioned that ayah of the Qur'an, that when you ask, uh, uh, when my slave asks concerning me, I am indeed near, I respond to uh, uh, the supplicant when he makes his supplication, or when he makes his invocation, when he makes dua, the ayah continues and says what? فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ That Allah Ta'ala says what? So let them respond to me, as in be obedient to me, and believe in me that they may be rightly guided. So subhanAllah, there's a very, very important emphasis here saying what? That yes, I will respond to you, but you have to respond to me. You know, and, it's, and so subhanAllah, there's a, that's, the, that's you could say is the key concept here. Yes, and it's very interesting that there's so much focus on what you have consumed and what you have eaten, especially because there's another hadith that says from the Prophet Yuntinu. That the first part of the human being to rot is his abdomen, is his stomach. So subhanAllah, now this is, you know, you could say that when the body passes away, the first thing that starts to rot is the stomach, like literally what's in the, what's in the stomach, like the food, etc. But it could also be a reference to, Allah Alam, the idea that one of the first things uh, uh, that you're going to see negative effects of is what? It's uh, uh, because of what you consume. So you'll see the effects of, 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 of haram in your life. Number one with what? Because of your earnings and your consuming. Wallahu ta'ala alam. There's a very beautiful poem with, with this regard. And the poem says what? Uh, this is mentioned in Jami'ul uh, Ulum Wal Hikam by Ibn Rajab. He mentions a, a beautiful poem. He says, Nahnu nad'u al ilaha fi kulli karbin thumma nansahu inda kashfil kurubi. Kayfa narju ijabatan lid dua'in qada sadadna tariqaha bid dhunubi. So, the, the poem says, and you can make it rhyme in English as well. We pray to God in every hardship, then forget Him when troubles are lessened. How do we hope for a response to our prayers when blocking its path with transgressions? So, I don't know if you, did you get it? I'll say it again. We pray to God in every hardship, right? In every difficulty. Then forget Him when troubles are lessened. When things get easy, I forget. How do we hope for a response to our prayers when blocking its path with transgressions. In other words, how can we expect that the dua is going to come to us when we keep on putting up these roadblocks of every haram thing that we do that's going to slow it down? So it's a nice poem. I hope you guys like it. The Arabic is nice. The English, hopefully you guys like it too. Final portion of the hadith, inshallah. And then the Prophet after mentioning all these different things that are haram, the Prophet says, فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ لِذَارِكَ So how can his supplication be accepted? And this is really, I hope, if you walk away with anything, remember the, the, this point. Because... This is really beautiful. The Prophet ﷺ is asking the question, but he's not denying. So this question, how could his dua be responded to, can be understood in three different ways. Number one is the most obvious. How could it be responded to? In other words, it can't. There's no way. Everything that you have is haram. The breath that you're making this dua with is haram. The, the, the hands that you're raising to make dua is haram. The, the, the food that you consume that's giving you the energy is haram. Everything is haram. So how? How could it be responded to? In other words, it's not going to be responded to. That's the first and most obvious understanding. However, Ibn Daqiq al-Eid, he notes that Allah didn't say he wouldn't respond to it. 
So there are other, technically other possibilities. That it could be asking, how could I respond to him without making him worse? In other words, maybe I will respond to him. Maybe I will give him what he's asking for. But how could I do it in such a way where he's not going to become worse? He's asking for more money. He's asking for more blessings. He's asking for more comfort. This guy, everything he does, every time he gets more good, every time he gets more money, every time he gets more power, more wealth, he only does more haram with it. That's why his food is haram and his clothes are haram and his, every, everything's haram about this guy. And now Allah is asking, how can I respond to him? Not necessarily saying how in the sense, well, the one interpretation is yes, saying how could I, as in I never will. Another response is no, how can I, as in how can I do it in a way that this guy's going to actually do something good with the response? Because everything he does is haram. That's the second uh, uh, way of looking at it. You could look at it like similar to Fir'aun, right? The more Allah gave him, the more Allah gave him blessings and blessings and comfort and wealth and status and power, the more and more and more it corrupted him. It's as if Allah is asking, how? How can I respond to you and give you something if it's only going to make you worse and worse? You just keep digging your ditch even deeper and deeper in hell. Subhanallah. A third interpretation, however, is really remarkable. How, as in, when somebody keeps on disobeying Allah, how can they expect a response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when they don't respond to Allah's call? They don't respond to Allah's call, but now they're in trouble. They're in a lot of trouble. And they realize what I've been doing is wrong. And I want to change my ways. And I want to become a different person. I realize that I've been consuming haram. and do, Everything that I've been doing is, has been haram. I realize how, what, how bad it is that I've never responded to, to Allah Ta'ala. But now I really do hope that Allah Ta'ala will respond to me. And in this state of sincere tawbah, where he really wants to turn his life around, the question is, how will Allah Ta'ala respond to this dua? And the answer is, by incomprehensible mercy. Subhanallah. By in, only by incomprehensible mercy, the fact that Allah Ta'ala has, uh, has given you so many commands to help your life and you've ignored all of them. And now you want Him to respond to you? How could He respond? I guess there's only one way. That if Allah Ta'ala shows you incomprehensible mercy, mercy, mercy that is beyond your scope, beyond your limit, beyond your comprehension, subhanAllah, that Allah Ta'ala is going to give you that mercy. So again, the primary and the most popular understanding of this hadith is how could he be responded to? As in, he's not going to be responded to. I still want to make that, very, that point very clear. Because I don't want to act like that is a minority opinion. No, that's the majority opinion. But it is interesting that some scholars do say, look, he, the Prophet didn't say that he won't be responded to. And so maybe, this is an indication that, look, maybe you get the response, but it's only going to make you worse. Because this guy apparently only, uh, the more good he's given, the more bad he does with it. Or maybe, you know what, maybe this guy really turned his life around. And how will he respond? SubhanAllah. Because Allah Ta'ala, يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا That Allah Ta'ala can forgive sins entirely, if you're sincere. SubhanAllah. Now, important final points to remember. Is it allowed to acquire haram wealth in order to give it to charity? The answer is no. You can't do this sort of uh, uh, Robin Hood type of uh, attitude of I'm going to steal uh, money and then, uh, you know, don't worry, it's okay that I'm robbing the bank because I'm going to give money in charity and therefore it's okay. No, that is not halal in Islam. However, another question that comes up is, okay, what if I'm not going out to do something and earn something haram on purpose, but I've already acquired haram money? Sometimes people are in a situation where they're like, listen, this money came to me before, before I was even cognizant of the fact that it was haram, before anybody told me, before I had any concept of it being haram. Now all this money is in my possession, what should I do with it? And so there's a few answers. Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad, rahimahullah, he says, just destroy it. Like, throw it in the ocean. <laughs> now, this is a weaker opinion. And Ibn Rajab says, no, this is not right because you're not supposed to destroy wealth. But that's the weaker position. 
Al-Shafi'i, rahimahullah, he has a very interesting position. He says, you hold on to it, you don't spend of it, you just hold on to it, and you keep it until you can give it to its rightful owner. If, it, if it's haram money that belongs to somebody else, you just keep it stowed away until you can give it to its rightful owner. That seems to make perfect sense. But unfortunately, there are times when the rightful owner, it's impossible to reach. For example, maybe they passed away. You can't give the money back. Or maybe, I don't know, it's distributed like, you know, let's say you get government money that, you know, what are you going to do, go around and give one penny back to each taxpayer? You know, so you, can, you can come up with scenarios where, uh, you know, you can't really give the money back. There are, you, can, you can imagine them just off the top of your head. So let's say theoretically you're in a position where you can't give the money back. What should you do next? So it seems that Imam Malik, uh, rahimullah, Abu Hanifa, rahimullah, Imam Ahmed, rahimullah, and Ibn Rajab, rahimullah, they all say, uh, give it in charity. Give it in charity. Not because you will be rewarded for the charity, but because the person who it actually belongs to, that person will get the reward of charity, and you will be saved from the sin of having this haram money. You get the idea? So it's actually really quite clever. They're saying, this money that you've acquired that's haram for you, give it in charity. You're not expecting that you are going to get the reward of being charitable. That's not the idea. The idea is you're just going to be saved from the punishment of having haram money. And as for the reward, it goes to the person who is the rightful owner of that money, whoever that may be. So that's their uh, explanation, and Allah knows best. And the last point that I want to mention is that we should never say to ourselves, you know, brother, you talk about this whole hadith about earning halal and making sure that you earn halal money, but it's very, very difficult for me to earn halal money. I would just remind everybody that's in such a situation to remember that Allah Ta'ala says, what? لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها That Allah does not charge a soul or burden a soul, a soul with more than it can bear, with more than its capacity. So basically, uh, one understanding from this is what? That, inshallah, you will be given a way out. Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Talaq that whoever has fear of Allah, uh, Allah Ta'ala will give him a way out, will give him an exit. So, so the idea is what? That if you genuinely have fear of Allah Ta'ala and you feel that, look, I'm earning haram, but I really don't see a way out of this, make dua, apply yourself, try to get a new job, get out there, apply to whatever you have to, inshallah, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will give you a way out so that you can earn halal. And with that, we close. Uh, may Allah Ta'ala make us of those who always try to earn pure uh, risk. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Zabdil khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.